Hi, I'm Sally. I'm Linda. And I'm Ming. Pour yourself a cup of tea and join us for this week's episode of Moving Oolong. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a very special guest um, to talk on our podcast today. She has she has a guest we invited on because she has a really unique career and Meng was super excited to interview her. So <laughs> it'll be a very interesting um, conversation. But before that, let's get into the weekly recap. Linda, how was your week? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> she couldn't decide. Um, <laughs> Ming, what did I do this week? Uh, you recovered from COVID. That might be the yeah. biggest thing to announce. <laughs> So the biggest thing was that I only had COVID for, well, I shouldn't say only, but I had COVID for a week. So I tested negative on Thursday um, and was released from isolation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I didn't have any other symptoms. So I'm going to put that chapter behind me. And Mm. yeah. And then I did like nothing, I guess. What happened to me yesterday? Huh? Yeah, what the quarantine, quarantine project. project. I'm still doing. It. I didn't get to do it during quarantine because like what the supplies didn't arrive and stuff. I'm like trying to make clothing. Oh, mm-hmm. so I have like some materials like PVC and leather and this like holographic thing. Um, that I'm gonna try to make stuff out of holographic. That's cool. Yes. Are you putting it together? Um, there's like screws, like rivets, like, you know how leather things like it's not sewing. It has like those like fastenings on the ends. So it's just, like doing that. It's like a screw, like a drill kind of. Um, wow. Okay. Yes. You also drilled into something else this past weekend. Hello? Your what? ears. Oh, oh my god oh my god okay yeah yeah yeah. so ming oh and i the body modification squad did <laughs> yeah. another round of um, pierce piercings too? yeah oh yeah oh, oh yeah best work look. yet <laughs> honestly he looks so good with it it like really? Re- it really suits his personality i think can i request an appointment oh oh we oh, still do you have want? the supplies okay yeah third lobe yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'll I make did. Make third lobe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was yeah. gonna get one in Boston, but they didn't have appointments. Uh, but anyways, is that all, Linda? <laughs> Are you done yet? <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a civilian. Leave me Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I guess I don't have really much else to say. We did the piercings, which was a lot of fun. I was nervous because I trusted Linda. But, you know, Carlos had those shaky hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Carlos, um, do that shit. <laughs> we were like, let's everyone gets an, a chance. Um, but it was like we had all the supplies. We were very um, hygienic, as hygienic as possible, and like sterile. Um, so it was fun. What else did we do? I had an in-person happy hour with my coworkers for the first time, which was weird because it's always weird when you drink with people you work with and like crossing that boundary a little bit. Um, but it was fun getting to know them more besides like just what they do at work. And I turned very red when we were drinking <laughs> wine. <laughs> and I was like the only person there with like the the flushed face. And I was like, okay, I need to calm down. 
Um, but it went on for a really long time. So my social battery was completely drained because I was there all day working. And then we jumped into happy hour around like 3.30. And then it went to like 7.30. It was like four wow. hours of just like drinking and talking in the office. We didn't even leave for a second location. But I got to know a lot of them. And I'm sad that the whole reason was for um, my coworkers like leaving. Oh. So like by the time I finally got to get to know her, casually like that she's leaving so is she leaving the area though like could you still no she's still in the area and she's like oh we Mm -hmm. can get coffee or drinks or whatever but it is different yeah um besides that yeah life is good i guess we celebrated linda's covid (laughs) recovery by going out again to get more covid (laughs) i guess i got antibodies i mean basically immune at this point i i can't explain it i I don't know how to, but um, yeah, we went back to Adams Morgan, Carlos's favorite location, <laughs> and it was a fun time though. I think smaller groups are a lot more fun to like go out and in the night with because you don't have to worry about everyone. Mm-hmm. You can just enjoy each other's experience. Um, so it was just the yeah. three of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just yeah. three of us. Very close and personal. It was very intimate. (laughs) Uh, But Sally, I think you have the best updates coming straight from Boston to this pod. Before Boston, (laughs) I also went on happy hour with my coworkers. Uh, It was a very nice nice day on Wednesday. So we got lunch outside for like two hours. We're not outside. outside Two hour lunch? And then came back and we're like, let's do happy hour. (laughs) We left work around five. So you do no work. Well, my coworker was also leaving, so we're uh, like, this that's is a excuse. good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my my coworker who lives near me, we're we usually we're gonna like uh, carpool over. And then she was like, "Should I call an Uber?" I was like, "Oh, so we're gonna get white girl wasted tonight." Oh. <laughs> so we got white girl wasted. <laughs> it was fun. It's a nice memory to uh, commemorate my coworker leaving. Um, anyways, after that, I went to Boston on Saturday with Kevin, and we just got back today on Tuesday, so I'm, like, been busting my ass around. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, how was Boston? How was the school? It was very nice. Okay, so, the itinerary was on Saturday, we got to Boston, and hung out with my old friend Dave, he was also on the podcast um, a while ago, and saw some other friends well not not really like dave's friends in boston we all hung out um got food we ate like two lunches and a dinner uh, so i was super full but the food there was pretty good and then um sunday we also spent most of the day in boston um and then we met up with kevin's cousin who lives there and oh. she showed us a good time um, for oh. dinner. <laughs> Not like that. Like, we just had a good dinner and bubble tea afterwards. So it was like very nice being able to see people in a city that you don't live in, mm. like traveling to meet up with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it feel more like, I don't know, uh, close to home. Like, kind of like Taiwan, foreign, right? Yeah, rather than like a foreign country or a foreign place. Yeah. Um, it's like a little bit more, I don't know. <laughs> it's nice. Um, and then uh, Sunday night, we drove over to Worcester, which is where the school that I'm visiting is located in. Uh-huh. So Worcester is like an hour away from Boston. But um, I visited UMass uh, Medical School, um, the graduate program that I'm doing 
offer that I'm admitted to is within the medical school. I did the admitted student um, open house tour thing on Monday and it was so draining, but it was really right. like fulfilling, I guess, to see mm-hmm. the school and talk to people there. But it was like a whole 930 to oh, like around, yeah, around 930 is when I got there to 330. Like the whole time was just packed full of like talking, networking. So it was a lot, but it definitely was useful to see the school in person in comparison to like the Zoom interview because yeah. every school kind of looks the same on Zoom. But yeah, did it make really you nice. like want to go there more? Definitely. I think seeing it in person um, yeah. does improve the school's image in my mind. Um, it is like the facilities are all really new and like talking to real people and mm-hmm. having like real conversations. That was cool. One of the PIs that I talked to had a dog in her office. Like <laughs> that's how chilled they are over there. So the one dog is what's gonna swing you over <laughs> to Boston. You're gonna move to Boston <laughs> no. for the dog. No, 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 no. But it was really nice to see people. I heard you went climbing. Yes, in we Boston. did check out after the the admitted student thing. We got dinner. And then we went climbing, but we got too much food for dinner. So it was a high gravity day. Oh, gosh. But basically, we're just like trying random things, and that was really fun too. Instead of projecting climbs, did you bring and your shoes? No, we were <laughs> we were using rentals. Like, Kevin had to buy chocolate. That Kevin cool. wore rentals. I know he was like, oh. how could he humble himself <laughs> no, like no, that? No, no, he was not thinking like that. <laughs> Feels like, ooh, if I wear rentals and flash everyone's projects. Oh my gosh. Okay, like not humble. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it was a fun trip. And Boston is a very different city from like the ones I used to, New York City and DC. So it's, it was definitely worth the visit. But not quite sure if you can see myself living there just right now. Excellent. So as Sally introduced earlier today, we have Heather on to talk about her photojournalism work with National Geographic, photography, and journalism, things like that. So we, I think we met Heather in College Park because we were all involved in like AAPI type things. So that's how we know Heather. And we've been um, really glad to have you on. So do you want to introduce yourself, um, say hi, and say where you're calling in from, what you're doing now, things like that? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm so honored to be here. My name is Heather Kim. Um, <laughs> I am an associate photo editor with National Geographic on our newsletters team. Um, but I also majored in broadcast journalism with a minor in Asian American studies and currently calling in from Clarksville, Maryland. Nice to meet you, Heather. Or nice to have you on the podcast, actually. <laughs> That's the first time meeting. So. Oh, really? Nice to meet you too. Yeah, nice to meet you. That's um, true. I feel I like Linda's yeah. the most. Mm-hmm. Have you met before? Yeah, we've met briefly. I think mostly have, through Linda, too, but yes, here and there. Was, I did photograph Ming at mm-hmm. some point. Um, but yeah, I don't believe I've had the chance to meet all of you in person in a very long time. Mm. yeah so Heather's done some photography with us before I think uh that's how we know you were you had this interest and you were really good at it so I guess do you want to talk about (laughs) (laughs) how you kind of got into photography um and how that started yeah sure um 
It all started in sixth grade. <laughs> I actually, I do remember um, I got my first flip phone. It was an LG MV3, this burgundy. Wow. <laughs> um, I wish I was joking, but I started taking photos on my flip phone and the quality was actually amazing for the time. Um, and I started uploading those photos onto Facebook in a little album I called Photography. And you can, I believe those photos are still up and you can still see them. And they are incredibly grainy. Like I'm talking like <laughs> 20 times zoom and you can barely see what's actually in the photograph. 240 pixels. Literally, exactly. I would say actually closer to 8-bit, but oh. it, was, uh, <laughs> it was not cute. Um, but regardless, I think, you know, it was the encouragement um, by family members actually around me who saw that passion very early on and kind of encouraged me to move in that way. So then from flip phone, I went on to just a regular point and shoot camera and then from point and shoot camera, went on to a DSLR and experimented with a lot of film photography in high school as well. And that's kind of how my interest started. That's really cool mm-hmm. that you had such a um, clear, I don't know, interest when you were younger, because I feel like I also had interests but uh they they came and go they um are not still with me <laughs> uh, but for you to have such a clear like interest and then to follow it through and also it's pretty I don't know if it's unique but it's nice to hear that your family and your loved ones like encourage this passion of yours um did they encourage it uh as like a career or more of like a hobby or both I think in the beginning kind of as a hobby um I just I am very blessed and to have some parents that did encourage me from a pretty young age. Um, but I also think, I mean, I, I think that they saw that my passion behind it, but my all, my mom has always said, <laughs> she's a very honest woman. And she had told me and my siblings as well. I come from, I'm one of six. So she's told all of us, she was like, I love you all very much. But if it came down to it, like if I had to be honest, you know, she would let us know if she did not see a path for us in that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I guess that means my mom actually saw potential in my work and what I wanted to really do. So I don't think she, uh, her and my dad, I don't know if they really saw the my actual potential until high school when I actually started entering awards and contests and them kind of seeing like, oh, like this is something more than just a hobby. And when I decided to pursue it in college, um, which is actually, we'll get into it later, I assume that's when I started getting to photojournalism versus uh, creative art direction photography. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm really thankful to have a pretty good support system here. Mm-hmm. So can you give us a little bit like of a background about what photojournalism is and what does it entail? What do you kind of do day to day? Yeah, sure. So a lot of, a lot to unpack in that one question, but um, <laughs> specifically with photojournalism. Yeah. So it is what it sounds like. It's literally photography journalism, or in fact, it doesn't have to be just still photography. It can also be video journalism. Um, we also see different forms of visual story. I think a better word for it probably is visual storytelling because that encompasses a lot of different mediums um, that are still, you know, uphold, upheld to that journalistic standard. So I actually didn't start um, learning about photojournalism until college and it was by accident. Um, so I wish I could say that I had this noble cause from a young age and, you know, <laughs> wanted to go into journalism and all that. No, I got into my major by accident. So, well, maybe not by accident, but I'm very thankful to have gone through it. Um, Essentially, you know, there were kids in my major who 
had podcasts like all the way through high school, like knew they wanted to be journalists from like the first article that they read. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't know diddly squat about journalism. (laughs) Um, So basically what happened was I had applied to UMD and I saw on their drop down menu, I didn't know this until years later, but UMD had gotten rid of their photo program a long time ago, long before I even showed up. So I went to the next best thing on the drop down menu and it said journalism parentheses photojournalism. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. Let me go with that. Um, and then that's how it started. I ended up staying in my major and seeing the beauty and importance of journalism and specifically photojournalism eventually and visual storytelling. So yeah, I think what really differentiates photojournalism from regular photography is that with photojournalism, you are held to different standards and different ethics because you can get in a lot of trouble or it can cause a lot of issues if you skew a photo or if you, um, let's say, like with art direction or creative photography, you know, you can take liberties to Photoshop. You can take liberties to color grade in different mm-hmm. ways to kind of convey that emotion that you want versus photojournalism. You're not trying to touch that photo at all. Oh. Basically, you're trying to capture that photo in the moment. You're trying to document whatever event or um special occasion it is uh in its truest form in its rawest form essentially um just because yeah there there is a power dynamic when it comes to photography and when you are working with really either vulnerable communities or just even uh, any individual that you photograph um there's a dynamic between the photographer who's behind the camera and this and the person who's in front of it um there's even been more work recently in kind of reducing or not reducing i'm sorry there's been more work in having a more humane approach to photography. So for example, a lot of times we say like, Oh, like I'm going to go like shoot this subject. We realize that's very violent language. So what do we Mm. say instead? Like I'm going to go photograph this person Mm -hmm. or instead of even saying subject, you know, treating that person as a person and not as something to be ogled at something to um, just like fill your frame. Uh, You're trying to tell their story. And, or in fact, you're trying to give them a platform in order to tell their story um, and tell it in an accurate way. So very long tangent to what photojournalism is. And I hope that answered your question. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I like what you were saying about the dynamic between the photographer and the person they're taking the photo of. Uh, This kind of gets a little bit off the train of photojournalism, I think. But um, I don't know. I've always liked the idea of photography because... I'm a more introverted person, so the idea of being involved um, in the the activity or the event or something, but still being behind, I guess, a camera, there's like a a barrier almost, or not a barrier, but you're taking yourself out of it. When I think of this, I think of like when Sally, she was the uh, historian historian (laughs) for TASA at UMD. And so she was always the one going around taking the photos of the events. And whenever we tried to take a photo of her, most of the time, she she was like, oh, no, no, like I'm taking the photo. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting, though. Like, do you think a specific personality lends themselves to uh, photography in general or more specifically photojournalism? Or like, how do you see that, I guess, in your personality or the dynamic between like the photographer and like the event itself? Yeah. I love that you asked this question because so (laughs) much of what you just said resonated with me so hard because Mm. (laughs) I I am literally the same. Well, actually, funnily enough, the way that I got involved in ASU Asian American Student Union in college 
was because I had a friend pull me on to be historian and I was mm. ASU's first historian. And I was like, this is so cool. Um, she kind of, she kind of wrote me into it. She didn't tell me she was, she meant for me to join the e-board. She was like, just come take photos. And then I got roped <laughs> into it. And then I ended up in it for four years. Um, but no, I am actually, even if it doesn't seem like it, uh, I am extremely introverted. So when it comes to taking photos, I have heard my friends, uh, family, anybody that I work with kind of tell me that I have a different aura. Like, I don't know if that's too much of a, you know, crazy word, but like, I think I do. Um, I think it's like anything when somebody falls into their passion and like feels more comfortable and feels, Mm -hmm. um, like they are in their truest form. I think Mm -hmm. I do take on maybe a little bit more confidence when I'm behind the camera, but the minute you turn it around on me, (laughs) I, I get so shy. I don't know how to pose my younger sister. She has been one of my, you know, my favorite people to photograph for however long she's been alive. And, um, I, you know, and there have been times of course where I've asked her to take photos of me and then I like get all clammy. I'm like, I don't know how to pose and move my body, which is so funny. Cause I, I know exactly what to tell other people. I have no idea how to do it myself. Um, so yeah, to answer your earlier question, I don't think that a certain, uh, personality lends itself to photography. And I think the beautiful thing about photography is that, you can express yourself in so many different ways. So whether that takes the form of photojournalism or whether that takes the form of film photography or video or whatever, um, you have the option in how you want to, how, whatever you want to portray or create, um, what you want to convey with that. So yeah, I don't think a certain personality is necessary. I think you just need a, a body and a camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were recently photographed, right? Like you have an experience with journalism a bit like the the lights thing oh very like very very minor i was like walking around um the kennedy center for their their light event um around chinese new year i think and they there was a photographer from i don't even remember what news station or channel but morning something something like that she asked to take a photo of Carlos and I and as soon as she asked that I got all nervous but I was like okay I can't say no so <laughs> and she was like okay well these are gonna be more candid I'll just follow behind you and she was like just walking like a few paces behind us but you were very aware that you were like someone was taking photos of you and mm. yeah I definitely prefer I'm not even into photography like that but I would prefer to be on that more outside or like being the one documenting versus the one being the one being documented yeah i mean first of all always (laughs) always know that you have the ability to say no to news as Mm. somebody who worked in local news got got rejected plenty of times and Uh. it's totally fine but when you're in it obviously i mean it's so funny because i think as nerve-wracking as it is to get approached it's also so nerve-wracking to go up to people (laughs) but what they tell us in the industry is like the worst thing that can happen is that they'll say no so then you drill that into your head, you go up to the person and do it. But no, I a hundred percent agree with you. I love being behind the camera. I Mm -hmm. really dislike being in front of it. I just, (laughs) Oh, it makes me feel so I I have to get more comfortable with it, but definitely prefer being behind the lens. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, how do you get people to act candid in front of the camera? Because they know that you're uh, photographing them. Yeah. uh, (laughs) 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 I wish I had like a tried and true method. Um, a lot of times I resort to like corny jokes and I am not a comedian. So it, sometimes it goes really terribly and they won't laugh. I'm like, all right, well, I'll have to find a different way to make you comfortable. Um, but really, I think one of my favorite tactics is honestly just to hype them up. Like I feel mm-hmm. like when you're in front of the camera, you need somebody to make you feel like your best self. Like you are 
it. Like you are, you know, the only, you, like you, that you're rocking it. So basically it's just, I'm hurling compliments at people. I'm like, you look fantastic. <laughs> you look beautiful. Like work it. Like you look amazing. And I think sometimes, you know, that can feel a little bit awkward because this person's hurling compliments at you, but then you see people starting to loosen up because they, they laugh at how awkward it is. And then you get that nice mm. candid laughter shot and then they start to relax around you a little bit. And I, you know, but I, I do think, um, that is one tactic for specifically when I work in portraiture and when I work with people and it's maybe a one-on-one session, I think it was a little bit different when I worked in local news. So for context, I was at a news station before I was at Nat Geo and, mm. um, it was, that was when I was down in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and yeah, so like when you're on a video shoot, it's also very similar. And like, you can tell people are looking directly at your lens and you kind of just have to be like, I'm not even here. Like, don't even look at me, you know, just, <laughs> just do your thing. I literally, all I would say, I'm just like, just do your thing. So whether that was somebody, you know, throwing pottery together or putting Ooh. lights up um, or whatever, uh, you just try your best to act like a fly on the wall. And I think in the same way that I get absorbed in my photography, other people get absorbed in what they love. So if I was recording them, you know, I think they would at some point feel like nobody was watching them because they were just involved in that specific craft or activity that they really loved. Mm. And then what's your favorite subject to uh, photograph or like, and also I guess an extension, what's your favorite media to use? Yeah. Uh, I love people as mm-hmm. much as, mm-hmm. as much as I say I'm an introvert and as much as I am like so exhausted after working with people, <laughs> I still love it. So specifically my favorite, uh, thing to, to photograph is people. Um, mm-hmm. and I specialize in portraiture. At least that's what I like to think I specialize in. And, um, my favorite medium is still photography. I think I did a lot of very video heavy jobs in the past. And as much as I have a respect for video, uh, I definitely feel way more comfortable taking photographs. Mm. when i think of nat geo i think of more like wildlife and landscapes <laughs> every time linda sees an animal she's like, <laughs> like natural 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 natural. <laughs> <laughs> you joke but that's what i think too <laughs> do you feel like your people i guess love for photographing people was able yeah. to be brought over or was it something totally different yeah Totally different. Um, Mm. I think what I should actually clarify is that I am a photo editor, not a photographer at National Geographic. I wish I was a photographer at National (laughs) Geographic, but I'm thankful for my position nonetheless. Um, And I think it's been really, you know, nice to be in. I'm technically I'm in a work from home position. Um, I've been working remotely ever since I joined Nat Geo, and I work with really amazing people. But specifically, my day to day job, it's less like I don't actually do any photography at Nat Geo. It's more photo editing and photo curation. So it's a lot of mm. like photo selection, um, specifically for the newsletters at Nat Geo. But then also, I've had a newer responsibility of working on the photo of the day edits. So I curate basically the month long selection of the photo of the day for the next month. So I'm actually working on the April edit right now. The March edit is coming out as we speak, obviously every single day on national geographics website, you can scroll down and look at it. Uh, (laughs) Just a little plug right there. Um, But yeah, I think people definitely think wildlife and conservation or whatever, when it comes to national geographic, which is a huge part of it and a huge part of its legacy but I think the other really beautiful part that I've been really attracted to is um, people and culture at Nacho. So you can see on our site, um, either under our history desk or even under science or whatever, um, we have some really beautiful photo stories 
specifically covering uh, people and culture and very niche stories that, you know, I think that's what I appreciate about Nat Geo is that it's not kind of what we say in the industry is day turns, which is literally like, oh, like you go, you photograph somebody or in news, you know, you go, you interview somebody, take video and then turn it all in one day. And mm. basically, so it can air later that day. Nat Geo, I think, prides itself in a lot of really long-term storytelling. So projects that can take anywhere from like three months to three years. Um, so working with photographers who really have focus on a story for a very, very long time, I think that's kind of what se- separates Nat Geo from a lot of other visual storytelling um, publications. You mentioned earlier that uh, between like photojournalism and regular photography, uh, you have like limits on how much you can edit. So like as an editor, what are the like, specific limits of what you can do to a photo? Yeah. So um, I guess I'll speak more as a photographer and not as a photo editor in this instance, okay. because I know that editor it makes it sound like I'm actually physically editing the photos. I'm not. I'm like selecting, oh. curating, okay. um, putting things together, choosing photos to go into our newsletter. But as a photographer, separately, um, basically the limits are, for instance, like you can't crop entire people out because that can change the entire mm. meaning of a photo. Mm. Um, there have been scandals in the industry of people like <laughs> really? photo, photoshopping a little bit, um, or, mm. mer- or if you do not clarify that two photos have been merged, that can also change the entire meaning of a photo. Um, so yeah, I think it's just like, you know, obviously if like you need to do a little bit of like tone adjusting, if you need to do a little bit of straightening, like that's fine. I think the core, um, goal though, is that you are really trying to not skew the meaning of your photo. So if your edit is light enough that it's not messing with anything, it's not changing the the viewer's perception of it or changing the story at all, Mm -hmm. you're fine. But the minute that you start changing that narrative, I mean, that's the power dynamic we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. that can be really damaging to communities or whoever you're covering. That's interesting about the cropping because the way you frame the photo can also basically mm-hmm. be cropping out someone. Exactly. For sure. So yeah, I mean, that's something that you not, not only have to be conscious of post shoot or, you know, whatever you're covering, but as you're in the fray, as you're doing this, um, being extremely conscious of everything around you. I think we always ask this question whenever we talk to someone who has uh, had their passion and their hobby and turned it almost into a career or in some way um, put it as like something they're making money off of. And in the past, we've talked to someone who enjoyed making jewelry and then she eventually made an Etsy shop off of it. And our question that always comes up is like, do you still have a passion for it uh, when you put it as your like income basically? And if, you do. How do you balance that? And I guess it's a more nuanced question for you because it's um, there's many different types of photography, as you mentioned before. And so um, do you still have a passion for the more creative, artistic, where you can take those liberties types of photos versus photojournalism, where there's all these rules behind it? Like, how do you balance the two? And I guess, do you ever get, um, what do you call that, burnt out? I know there's a bunch of questions in there, but whatever you want to explore. No, no, for sure. Um, (laughs) I, I think I'm really lucky in that I still get to be in my field in a way, like I'm still in photojournalism and still working with photographers and photography itself, but I don't think that is actually infringing upon my creative process or, you know, my separate passion for photography. I think I can keep the two really separate. I don't know if every photographer has that liberty. I think it works mm-hmm. out because I'm a photo editor and not actually a photographer for National Geographic. 
Um, but the one thing I have noticed is that despite being in this field, uh, I think that, and I don't want to speak for the general public, but I just think that with working from home and remote work, I think it's been really difficult. I, you know, I, I find myself beating myself up some days over the fact that, you know, I haven't picked up my camera in a long time, mm. like in weeks or in months. And that comes from, you know, working all day and then what 5 PM hits. And all I want to do is like lay down, chill out, not think about anything. And then we get this and then sometimes I get these these surges of creativity. I'm like, oh, I want to do this project and this project and this project, but like not actually having the energy to put forth and execute it. Or for instance, this is not particularly uh, in my case, but I know a lot of freelance photographers where that line is also very hard to draw. So like mm-hmm. their their work, like you are not just marketing your work, you're marketing yourself as a photographer and trying to get hired for yourself. And I think that can be super exhausting. And at some point, you know, the line does get blurred. But I think for me personally, individually, I am lucky to have to, uh, to be able to separate the two. And then sometimes I like to mix it up if I'm not picking up my, um, my DSLR camera in a really long time. I've been experimenting with film photography again. And I feel like that makes me really happy because, you know, it's not tied to my work at all. It's not even tied to things that I did in college. Like it feels purely for me and purely for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sally, Mm -hmm. you've done a bit of photography, like Mm -hmm. for student orgs and photography. Yes. (laughs) I'm just taking pictures. You seem to like it though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I recently got into film photography, so I'm still learning, but it's really fun and I like the slow process of it and like the what's it called? The non instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something so magical about it. Like I think it brings me back to high school when we would literally be developing film in dark mm-hmm. rooms and there was something so satisfying about yeah. that. Um and just not being I mean, it was also so discouraging when nothing would come out. Oh man, so <laughs> that's gonna be my next role. <laughs> Please, I do not speak that over you. I hope that your role ends up fine. Literally, me with my my friend was nice enough to give me a film camera last time I visited him in Brooklyn, and I do not. It has been very wonky recently, so I don't know if my role is gonna come out or not. Um, we mm. shall see, but I hope it does. But yeah, I, I think that that's the super fun part about it. Is just like maybe you can keep that fun in it. And if you can keep, you know, that enjoyment in it, then I think that's another way to be able to compartmentalize it and keep it separate from career is that I still find fun in it. Mm-hmm. I guess building off of that, I'm curious about, I guess, your opinion, Heather, but also the two of you, um, what your opinions are or if you have any about like film and how it's kind of made a transition onto Instagram and how people now have their own like either separate accounts or even on the same account where they're posting their film photos. In some ways, it's like confusing because like you mentioned, Sally, the point of film or maybe not the point, but the joy of film sometimes can be the fact that it's slower, less instant gratification, but then you're putting it on Instagram, which has a reputation for being the opposite in some ways. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that or Instagram in general, because social media, especially one that's like, photo based or that's how it was founded has like such an interesting I don't know the way it shapes how you think about how you're recording your day to day I've been thinking oh about God, that a little remember bit Flickr? like oh. Heather did you ever yes. Yes. <laughs> yes I do remember Flickr I did not use it as much as I should have I was uh, I was big on Tumblr so I'd be uh, on, yes. on Tumblr <laughs> as well yeah we all, we all remember that <laughs> um, no to, to answer your question I think that 
Oh gosh, I have had this discussion with lots of people um, mm. in the industry specifically, just like also considering that part of my background is I also worked for, I don't want to say worked for Instagram. I worked for Instagram slash the Denver Post for an Instagram news fellowship. So that summer, I realized I never wanted to work in social media again <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's much more fun when you are scrolling for yourself and not having to be mm. on social media 24-7 for your job. You see, that's that's one of those things where I'm like, that line is hard to deal mm-hmm. with because yeah. it, it it gets blurred and you get social media burnout. It is, oh my gosh, it's so much. Um, but I think that social media can be used as a tool for good and bad. And I just think with Instagram specifically, it's it's this balance. And I've heard from other folks, uh, other freelance photographers that, you know, photographers are slowly moving from Instagram because they feel like Instagram used to be this platform specifically for people to be able to share their photography, to interact. Like, you know, there used to be peak times for people to actually see your work. And then Mm -hmm. the algorithm got all messed up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't see half of whatever I'm following or whoever I'm following, even some of my close friends, I don't see their stuff for like two to three days if I'm not on Instagram. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really impacted a lot of folks who used to use Instagram as their main portfolio. I think for me, I kind of transitioned and I don't use Instagram as my main portfolio portfolio but if there is something that i'm proud of you know i'll put it out there um or if i just like want to do a photo do- i really think that like once you take social media back for yourself i think it's different but i think it's really hard when say you're a freelancer say you are a creative and you're using it as your main form of trying to get your work out there and there's like no tried and true way of getting mm-hmm. more eyes on it um mm-hmm. without having to market yourself without you know using paid ads or whatever mm-hmm. um so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I think that social media is just this unwieldy beast and <laughs> it's super hard to control where it goes uh, and you just kind of have to make the best of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think it definitely depends on how you view it. Um, I really like, I mean, Instagram has its cons, but I like how you can search for artists on Instagram. Like I definitely follow up a few film accounts to get inspiration on my own like photography and like, you know, I do pottery, so I like follow that. Like to see more creatives, I use Instagram to like, kind of search what's out there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I love that, that. No, I love that you use it in that way for sure. It's what really hard about to you? gain traction though. Because, mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, I post visual art on Instagram as like an image format. So sometimes when I'm like making it, I think of like, oh, this will be a bad crop for Instagram if yeah. I were to mm-hmm. put it out there. And like the disparity, I'm like fighting against the algorithm because when I post like something digital art or something that's like not with people or faces, it like won't show up Mm. on Mm -hmm. like the feed. But when I post like a picture of myself or a picture like with like in real life, that's Mm. what gets a lot of people. So there's also like reels and like stories and all these different ways to like calculate how to get your work out there but it is like touched it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it does give you traction but it's also become like a shopping app i guess Mm -hmm. so yeah i do hear it's like very complicated it feels very commercialized versus how it used to feel very creative like i look back on my instagram i used to post whatever the heck i wanted and make it casual again make it casual again i still think that i mean i i do think that you know i i don't know if i've reached a certain point where i'm like oh instagram is evil and i hate posting anything (laughs) on it i think i still love interacting with folks and, and i enjoy it in some capacity um but 
And I, I do know some people who literally post whatever the heck they want. And I think that's really awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I did notice I was going through my Instagram the other day and I'm like, oh, wow. Like I, without even realizing it, I think I really started curating my posts a lot more and planning it more. And Linda, oh my, I literally have a post from, I would say like a couple months ago. And like the caption is like, Instagram crop always does me dirty. Like it <laughs> truly with some of my photos, it makes it look so awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, when you're fighting against that, it's kind of hard to enjoy a medium that used to be super creative and now feels like a commercialized shopping app. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of that when I see, like, sometimes I'll see that people have their Visco link in their Instagram mm. bio. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then yeah. their, their feeds on Instagram versus on Visco is so different. So like, what different. you're willing to post out there. And it's it's interesting because it's like, I feel like everything is social media or every app tries to be social media. Like, even Venmo, when you can, like, like your transactions <laughs> or, like, see other people's transactions. Like, why is that a thing? Why are we making it? more of a social media thing so it's nice to like I wish we could go back a little bit to where it's more of just like posting for yourself and I feel like even people who try to like keep it casual then there's like overthinking of like is this casual and then you try to keep it casual then like you said the crop ruins it or you think about how it'll look like on Instagram on your feed so there's a lot of overthinking I think that can go into Instagram but I was just curious because I I also work in in social media but um, I'm able to keep it much separate because it's way separate from my personal life and my own personal interests. But mm-hmm. even still, it's still like the drain of like thinking of it and thinking of it as like a uh, ads and like putting money behind it. It well, like takes away the fun. Yeah, 100%. I have a question for you three, I guess. Like, do you have any outlets or platforms that you can kind of resort to to feel that sort of free like I don't know if we can necessarily feel any sort of freedom on social media (laughs) but I mean is there maybe you know a different platform where you feel like you can kind of just let loose a little bit more like I feel like there's always those memes of like not to say oh wow that was a complete (laughs) boomer thing like you know the little the little means where it's like me on Facebook and like me uh, on Twitter and me on Instagram. Oh, yeah. You know, I think it's interesting that we curate different personalities mm-hmm. for those different platforms. So I was wondering if is there one specifically for you all that you feel like you can be freer on? I don't know if it's like free, like where I could be myself. So this is not necessarily like me producing content, but I really like TikTok and the fact that. I can be completely anonymous on it. Like I don't have anything really on my TikTok. There's barely any identifying information. I'm just there to consume. (laughs) And so I'm not like (laughs) producing any content, but in that way it's kind of freeing because you can just scroll and just like enjoy what other people are creating. And Mm -hmm. in some ways that's way less stressful than going on Instagram and be like, what am I going to post? Or like, how am I going to post this? In terms of actually creating content, I don't know if podcasting counts, but I find this is really like um, freeing. Yeah, you yeah. just put it out there, and there's, there's, it's harder to interact the with people on podcasts. Are invisible, right? <laughs> Which can be a good and a bad thing. Like it's Hello, good because you're not, you don't you care. care about you. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> but then we like, oh, connect it to Instagram or like our website or whatever. So then you're always connected. But yeah, I enjoy mm-hmm. the anonymity of these kind of mm-hmm. things. That's yeah, a great point. 
Yeah, I even feel more pressure when I interact on Instagram. Like I have to mm-hmm. I have to think about my comments towards yeah. friends, like when they're posting thirst traps or like or beautiful photos <laughs> of themselves, I should say. I'm like, how do I I'm like, what's a witty thing I comment I come up with nothing witty. I just like you look beautiful. I mean, you are a good ray of sunshine. Um but I feel that pressure versus you're so right on TikTok. Well, at least for me, TikTok is also an outlet. I kind of bad I can scroll for hours it's awful (laughs) but I do feel like I kind of lose myself in it and I can feel I feel more relaxed because I don't feel like I am pressured in the way I have to interact with these people you're so right like the anonymity is really nice I do create content on TikTok sometimes but like if it still feels very for me whether that's Mm -hmm. you know recording I don't know an outing with friends and just doing a recap Mm -hmm. of that or uh maybe like a weekend trip um I feel like it's more for me and less this persona that I've curated on Instagram Mm -hmm. it's so like meta to think about content in general because we're creating content content right right now now. (laughs) and then we highlight another conversation where it's like we're just like farming our experiences for content Mm -hmm. we live in a metaverse (laughs) yeah so like where does like the experience begin and like the content and sort of um, maybe I need to go back to my flip phone. Like, this is, <laughs> maybe I need to go back to my roots. <laughs> mm, but I don't That's think true. I would ever be able to go off the grid like how mm. some people are. Like, if you don't have Instagram, I will not know like what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder about. Th- I think there are still many folks that lead their lives in that way. I don't know if mm-hmm. I can imagine it for myself either. I feel like so much of, especially with um graduating and moving away and you know leaving so many people that I love from this area I'm back now but a lot of those people Mm -hmm. are you know of course also moving on in their careers and lives um it still feels like that's like my only connection with them whether that's Facebook which apparently I I feel old using Facebook my younger siblings don't use Facebook (laughs) at all I'm like whoa okay found that out from them but yeah I mean if it's you know people that I haven't spoken to in like three to four years it's interesting that I still in a way, know what they're up to or keep up with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that kind of brings us kind of back towards our original conversation about <laughs> photography. But uh, how did you, I guess we didn't really get into too much how you went from, um, you said you were working for a news, you were doing more like the video side and then to Nat Geo. And then like, what's next? Like, would you like to stay in the editing position like professionally or try to get more into like, professional photography yeah you guys are asking a lot of good questions today (laughs) (laughs) I know that's the whole point but um, (laughs) I yeah so I following my fellowship I was unemployed for a little bit post-college and was in what you know me my friends my boyfriend we all call it the void so (laughs) you're just you're you're in it day in day out you're kind of just going with the flow applying Mm -hmm. to jobs figuring or figuring life out um, and then I got a random Facebook message <laughs> from wow. who was, you know, gonna be my supervisor, but, uh, my roommate, or I guess my old roommate, when I lived in Norfolk together, um, we got messages at the exact same time from the exact same person for the exact same job. And we were oh. like, how did this person find us? Huh? Uh, my old roommate or my friend, I guess, uh, we worked on a documentary while we were in college and it was a small documentary about, uh, dairy farmers in Hartford County, Maryland. And he, the person who was trying to recruit us saw that. And then that's why he recruited us at the same time. Mm. We both ended up getting the job, which was fantastic. And we both ended up moving out there at the same time. So it all worked out. I think the timing of it, you know, was definitely shadow of God. I think that worked out very well. Um, 
But when I was in it, uh, it, it was a lot. Local news can be a lot. And they don't tell you that when you first interview for mm. it. Um, you kind of feel like you're thrown in and all of a sudden you go... Uh, just, you know, breaking news can be a lot on the spirit and the soul. Um, so I was in it for about five months. It felt much longer, but I was in it for about five months. And then I got a random email from a recruiter from Nat Geo. So a year prior to that, I had actually been interviewing for another editor job at Nat Geo and got to final round and I was really excited for it. And then they rejected me actually. Mm. <laughs> um, so I was like, Oh man, you know, was really upset after that. Then yada, 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 went to news and everything worked out. So then when I got this, uh, email, I was really shocked because they said, Hey, we still had your resume on file from the last time you interviewed with us. Wow. We think that you might be a good fit for this other position. Would you like to just have a conversation, uh, with the editors in charge of this? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I would love to just like talk about it. They literally labeled it as that. They were like, let's just have a conversation about the mm. about the job. I was like, yeah, sure. I go into the conversation. It's a full-blown interview. I was like, <laughs> nobody prepared me for this. Nobody <laughs> told me that they were they were asking me hard interview questions. And I was like, I am pulling things out of my butt right now because <laughs> I I was like, I had I was just so not prepared. So thankfully I guess I said enough things where they wanted to hire me so I was very <laughs> thankful for that but the process was so fast within three days they got back to me they're like we'd like to offer you the position so I was like okay uh can I get a couple weeks so because I don't know <laughs> I still have my whole job here um and it was a very sad goodbye because I did love my supervisor a lot at my past job and I really respected the photographers that I worked with um but ultimately, you know, you got to make decisions and you got to make moves to yourself in the end. So I was looking out for myself and I said, Hey, like I got to put in my two weeks and I got a job with Nat Geo. So that's how I ended up there. But yeah, it was very <laughs> crazy, very random. Um, felt like it just kind of fell in my lap and out of the blue, which I know is not the case for everybody, but I am very thankful for it. And now I'm here and my one year with Nat Geo will be, I believe, April 12th. Oh, coming out very soon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess, so in thinking about your career overall, is your intention to align it with your own passion for portraiture? And, or are you okay with keeping it separate? Like, where you yeah, are right now. Totally forgot you had added that second part to the question. Thank you for bringing <laughs> me back in. A lot of questions. <laughs> um, no, that's a great question. I think for right now, so I'm actually contracted. So around July is when I will be reassessing and seeing if I want to stay in this editor position, if they want me still, or mm -hmm. if I want to move on to something else. I think a part of me always wants to go back to just doing photo because, and actually being behind the camera. It has been a long time since I've been behind the camera. But honestly, having this conversation with you all um, makes me feel really glad, actually, that it's pretty separate right now. I think that mm -hmm. I see the stress uh, that a lot of my freelancer friends are under. And I'm like, oh, snap, like, I'm actually okay to not be in that position right now. I think mm -hmm. it's a trade off, like you get to do what you love as a career. And at the same time, that can be your downfall, because you can get burnt out from the very thing that you love. Um, so I think right now I am very okay with staying in this photo editing position uh, more than okay, because I'm able to keep those things separate in my life. And if I want to pursue personal projects, I can, but that's obviously mm -hmm. on me. Um, one thing at a time though, I'm just trying to focus on moving my things into my new place currently uh, <laughs> and sorting my life out first before that. Um, but yeah, hopefully I think maybe come summer, maybe the, when the weather's a little bit warmer, I'd love to actually work on some more personal stuff for myself. Um, 
some personal projects that are in the work and kind of just stewing in the back of my head that I haven't mm. really addressed in a while. So I think that could be really cool, but yeah, we'll see. Or making a complete jump and trying to figure out how to get into a different photo industry that's not journalism specific. So we'll see. I don't really know, but I'm like hoping it'll work out. <laughs> I'm curious if you got any guidance from like Natural people on how to talk about like the organization or how to talk about your job because when you were saying that you wanted to stay in the editor, editor position, I was like, are you just saying that because they oh, might find this podcast and be like, okay, so Heather really wants to like dip. No. Oh my god. <laughs> That's such a good question. No, I have not gotten any media guidance or training. I I think I'm a little bit unfiltered right now, actually. Um, I have not gotten any media guidance or training. Uh, that's a that's a genuine w- a desire of mine, though, is that I think that Nat Geo is a wonderful company, and I work with some really, really talented, super cool people. And I think that's what really ties me to the organization. Not mm. just, I mean, my work day in and day out might not be the most creative thing, um, but I think that like when I'm sitting in those meetings, even if they're just Zoom meetings, sitting in those meetings with those really cool people, I'm like, sometimes I just get those moments where it kind of hits me and I'm like, Oh shoot. Like this is a, this is an organization I've been wanting to work for since I was like 16. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, I'm like, okay, I don't know if there's necessarily such thing as a dream job, but I think it is very cool to see it come full circle. I take that moment for myself and kind of pat my younger self on the back and be like, yo, like we're here. Is that crazy? Mm -hmm. And like, I think it kind of hits me and I get all like emotional and smiley about it because I genuinely do feel very grateful for the position that I'm in and find it so cool that I'm with Nachio and can say that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I want to be able to convey that to my supervisors as well and be like, please <laughs> let me stay. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think a lot of things get in the way, you know, whatever, like finances, budget, priorities, everything else. Um, but I'd really love to stay on my team at Nachio. Do you think working at Nachio has impacted your own personal photography and have you like taken any skills that you learned from other photographers into your own work that's a great question um I think it's kind of hard because I well two things I think my eye for photography has definitely changed since working at Nat Geo specifically because I'm I'm so I'm an associate photo editor meaning you know I do have a senior photo editor who's above me on the newsletters team and her name is Jen C she's really dope um, has been in Atgeo for a couple years now, and she's really cool. And I just like seeing her process and seeing how she selects photos, even for something that like to other people can seem very small. Like newsletters, we only put in maybe five to seven images on some of those newsletters. Um, but the process of curating it, I just have so much respect for her and like her vision Mm -hmm. when she does things. And like, it's just, it's clearly so experience based. Like it's something that I'm still wetting my feet in and getting used to, um, and trying to be more confident in my visual decisions, but I'm really thankful for it because I think now, like I've had friends from the past reach out to me and kind of ask for visual advice. And I think it's really cool because at some point I was like, Oh man, like I don't, I think maybe a year or two ago, like I wouldn't have considered myself qualified enough to like give that information or give that feedback. But now I can kind of trust my visual intuition a little bit more from being on this team and learning from other folks around me. Um, and yeah, I think something that I, sh- you know, I'm still working towards is learning how to advocate for myself a little bit better as a photographer. Mm-hmm. 
as a person and in the workplace. Um, so learning that also from other coworkers that are really dope and encouraging me in that way. Um, mm. But for my photography itself, I don't know if it's necessarily changed, but I also think that could be in part due to the fact that I haven't been as involved in my own personal photography in a while. Mm. But if anything, you know, I've been taking a lot of photos on my phone and experimenting with film, as I said before. So mm -hmm. if that role turns out, maybe we'll see if my photography has changed. <laughs> I'm like really hoping it develops properly. <laughs> mm. Do you get like the urge to take pictures like in the moment? Because when I'm looking back, oh, wait, when we had Snapchat in college and then I'm looking mm -hmm. back at those like snaps, I'm like, OK, I wish I had taken more photos back then. Because mm -hmm. like for me, I don't really think to like take on my phone, take a picture if I want to remember something. And then like, I can't remember it. So <laughs> does that come like, is that like, more instinctual or? I I would say yes. I think I have always, so as, as I have also been in this field for a longer amount of time, I've also kind of realized that there are moments when you kind of have to step back and appreciate being in the moment. I think when I was younger, I sound old, but yeah, like when I when I was younger, when I was a youngin, I used to think I'm like I got to take photos of everything to capture the moment, like literally everything. Um, and I think that can be both a blessing and a curse because, say, like in college when I was documenting something, I'd get really mad that I like missed a certain moment and mm. didn't capture it in the way that I wanted to capture it. And then getting older now, I'm like, there have definitely been moments where I've actually, you know, intentionally chosen to put my camera down. Because I'm like, this is not a moment for me to bust out my camera and take photos of everybody. Like, this is a moment for me to savor and just truly be in it. But I had this conversation actually not too long ago with um, one of my boyfriend's friends. And he also was very, like, curious. He was like, do you, like, feel like it takes away from being in the moment when you, like, take photos of stuff? I'm like... I necessarily see it like that. I think there are moments when I need to put my camera away, but when I do take it out, I like to think that it's because I want to capture it and look back on it later. And mm -hmm. I was like literally looking at a big old tree and I was like, oh, you know what? Like my friend Alicia would really like this tree. Like, let me take a photo of it so I can send it to her. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you approach it in that way, then yeah, it feels very instinctual to be like, oh, this is like something that's giving me joy and happiness and I want to capture it in the moment for that reason. And then I can appreciate it even more. Um, but I know that a lot of people probably don't think similarly, um, but that's how I think about it at least. That's a really good attitude and perspective towards it, I think, or just personally, in my opinion, because I used to feel so much like embarrassment to like take out my phone and take a picture of like, oh, this food or, you know, something on the street. And then I don't know if someone told me this or just thought of it myself, but it was Whenever I feel that way now, I'm literally like, it takes like two seconds to take this photo. Like I'm not disturbing mm -hmm. anyone's time to take mm -hmm. out my, my phone and snap this photo. So if I want it to like keep it as a, a memory for myself, then like no one should stop me or I shouldn't feel like shame for it. But I think there is still that sort of like, no one wants to seem like they're just trying to record everything and put it as a picture perfect, you know, image on social media or anything like that. So there's like a little bit of shame in capturing moments but yeah. I really like looking back on my photos I'll like scroll through my albums just yes exactly. feeling nostalgic yeah and I think that's a really like nice feeling to to hold yeah no I definitely I 100% agree with you it's like little pockets of memories like whenever yeah. I'm sad I like go back in my old videos or my old well like old photos from college I scroll oh, through yeah. and I'm geeking out because we yeah. were such <laughs> fools in college um but mm. yeah, when you get no, older, your memories are what it used to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
please don't. <laughs> my, my memory is definitely not how it used to be. <laughs> I'm only 23 and I sound like I'm 80, but it's something I should be concerned about. <laughs> um, I guess to kind of wrap it up, um, we typically ask if you have any tips because I'm not okay. I guess I'm exposing myself here, but um, I was very excited to have you on <laughs> because oh, I think so nice. you're. Um, what you're doing with your career is just very interesting. I don't think I know any other photographers really that are like doing it or that they've had this passion for. And even like meeting you briefly, I've seen like how passionate and excited you are to take photos. So it was really cool to talk to you about it. And obviously the Nat Geo name is so big and like I grew up reading it. So it captures, I don't know, a lot of people's attention, I think. So I guess it, if you could sum it up, if you have any tips for people who are maybe um, who started out as you thought it was a hobby that they might want to pursue into a career or I don't know, they're just interested in learning more. Like what would your advice be? I guess. Yeah. I and mean, first of all, you're not exposing yourself at all. I'm so honored. <laughs> I'm like, literally oh watching. it's so nice. <laughs> um, no, but it's also as somebody who, whose love language is words of affirmation, um, hearing that <laughs> makes me feel really happy because oh. I, I think there can be tons. Of, I, you know, I, I think that a really large thing about all of a sudden being under this very big name too is mm-hmm. feeling this huge amount of imposter syndrome. Like I don't belong mm-hmm. here and like not feeling like I measure up to these really, really cool people that I work with. But I think like hearing, you know, being here and talking to you guys about it and talking <laughs> about my passion, I'm like, I think I have just as much passion as those people around me as well. And like trying to actually internalize that and encourage myself in that way. So thank you for that. Um, some tips though. Yeah, I think, when I look back on my time in college, which uh, was obviously a huge stepping stool in getting me into journalism in the first place, um, I really think it was the people that made it, uh, not to be cliche, but like, I don't remember anything from my classes <laughs> besides like very important ethics that I'm supposed to remember. Um, but I really remember the experiences. So like, for ex- like, I really think that sometimes you have to go on a limb and seize it for yourself. Like that cow documentary that I had worked on with my friend, which then led to my job in Norfolk, which then led to my job in that geo. Um, that was super close to not being finished because mm. our entire class went to hell in my last <laughs> semester. Mm. Um, and, or in my second to last semester in, in college and my I keep saying my roommate because that's who she is to me now after I lived with her in Norfolk. But my friend Alicia, um, she's a really dope filmmaker now in Miami. But when we worked on it originally together, we kind of just had to make a decision. We're like, okay, everybody in our class like has chosen to leave this project because of like the mental health toll it took on us and because of how, you know, nobody has time anymore. But we want to finish it, not only for ourselves, but for the farmers who graciously let us into their lives and record them and in such an intimate way, like it would be a disservice to not get this project done and tell their story for them. And I look back on it. I'm like, gosh, darn, like if I had never done that documentary, I would not be in this position at all. And I think that's Mm. really crazy to think about is that like, if you don't jump out and like take that limb or decide to make that project for yourself, um, you have no idea where you're going to be. So I think that's one of my core tips is like, you have to seize the moment for yourself as cliche as it sounds. Mm -hmm. I think like once you make that jump and really, uh, put your effort into completing that one project that you've been tabling for months. I'm talking to myself a little bit more now. (laughs) Currently, um, you have no idea where it'll lead. Uh, and then another tip too, is that just like, just talk to people. Like, I think that 
being at this organization, I'm still getting to know people still doing coffee chats because Zoom is a beast and working from home is a beast that I have not yet conquered. Um, Mm. But I realize that every time I have these conversations with these folks, even though it's been months into me being in this job, I walk away with little nuggets of wisdom and another connection that I can always cherish. And like, if it's people are specifically trying to get into photojournalism, the industry is big, but it's also a lot smaller than you think. Like I there are countless people where you meet them once you meet them twice and like they have your name locked down and that can really you know change the trajectory trajectory of your career um so yeah i think those are some of my tips i hope they made sense (laughs) yeah definitely thank you for coming on heather i already i already gave you a lot of affirmation but i'll give it to you even more (laughs) uh i appreciate or we all appreciate you taking the time to join us today um because it's always fun even for ourselves, but hopefully for our listeners too, to like hear about different careers and like the passion that you have for it is very obvious, as I said before. So thank you for coming on. And um, if you want to, do you want to plug anything, any of your own personal projects or even Nat Geo's, whatever you want to shout out? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having (laughs) me. This was super fun for me. Um, I can definitely see why this is a creative creative outlet for y'all, 100%. And for listeners, if you cannot see me, uh, I'm smiling really hard (laughs) because this was so fun. (laughs) Um, Just some plugs. I guess I will plug Nat Geo first. Uh, You can sign up for our newsletters at nationalgeographic.com slash sign up. You can choose from a plethora of awesome newsletters. The one I specifically work on is Planet Possible, which is our climate newsletter. Uh, We try to include a lot of positive climate news, but as you guys know, it's very hard. Uh, Mm. But we try our best for our readers. And on top of that, you can find me on Instagram at Heather underscore Kim underscore. And I think that's all I have to plug. Cool. I'll sign up for that newsletter right now. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. Actually, my favorites are also history and the photo newsletter are amazing. Honestly, all of ours, we spend (laughs) a lot. We we sign up for all of them. Uh, We put a lot of time into curating it and I'm very proud of my small team um, and the work that we put into it. So yeah, go ahead and sign up for our newsletters. If you like this episode, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram at movingalongpod and check out our Medium blog for all of our bonus contents. You can follow us there at movingalong.medium.com. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Were you trained for that plug? (laughs) (laughs) That was so smooth. Yeah, your plugs. I've never plugged it before, so I'm really. really (laughs) You were like, you had the script memorized. (laughs) You know what it is? I have to copy and paste a blurb with that, like exactly what I said, like into (laughs) the articles that I produce. Um, basically just like our archive versions of the newsletters. So maybe that's where it came from. (laughs) I'm training for this. (laughs) This was my moment.